I think people that have an ability to appreciate art and music and film and stories, there's some people in the world that like they never make anything themselves, but they're amazing culture vultures and they read everything voraciously consume things because they think it's just brilliant and it's about life and they discuss it and they get all like into it and they talk about how it pushes forward arguments about what we should do about things politically or how we should live or how do you cure things or make them laugh like those people that are the appreciators and the audiences are vital to all of us moving forward in the world and in art and it's like at the moment that bit where we all get to come together is missing and it's like oh my god I'm absolutely dying for it because I'm nothing without them but they have nothing to go to if we don't get up in the morning and, and get out the pen and paper and write the shite before we write the good stuff. That's the small talk. Now let's go down to business. Now, your programme, what's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! You're very welcome to this very special episode of the Selection Box, the Irishman Abroad Arts and Culture podcast. Now, if you're listening to the main feed every Sunday, you'll remember Claire Dunn was on the show with her incredible movie herself. It tells the story of one woman attempting to change her story, change her path and make something new for herself in a country where it seems at times like building a home is off limits for a lot of people. Well, it was directed by Philip Lloyd and made by Element Pictures in conjunction with Sharon Horgan's Merman Company. And it's a picture about, as I said at the time, a lot of things. It really is about kindness. It is about community. It is about metal. But most of all, it's about Claire and uh, what she's done with her story and her story of who we are as Irish people. Now, obviously... A huge spanner got put in the works as I released that episode. The plan was it would hit cinemas and then that didn't happen. I mean, things changed so quickly. Cinemas remained closed for an awful long time. But that didn't stop Claire Dunn from receiving a whole host of awards. Uh, she received a nomination for a Biffa actress in a leading role. Herself was nominated for six IFTAs. Yes, six. Best film, best screenplay, leading actress actor in a supporting role, actress in supporting role and production design. And Claire and Malcolm Campbell won for best screenplay. Claire Dunn, it's brilliant to have you here. When I read that stuff out, like it must feel so peculiar when so many people you wanted to see this haven't seen it, but so many influential people did get to see it and all agreed that this was a piece of magic. Yeah, it is a bit of a strange experience, especially having like Jim Sheridan presented to you. Like that was quite something. And, and you know, he said uh, a few words just before introducing it and then and said some lovely stuff about the writers of this country and stuff. And I, I suddenly realised the size of this award, you know, and then when he said my name, it was really, really surreal. But the thing about the IFTAs being online and everything being slightly different and delayed was that um, I have a, like five sisters <laughs> and uh, a big family. We had a marquee at the back garden and had like a kind of COVID safe gathering because we were all sort of in a bubble anyway. Mm. And we all dressed up to the nines like and we were like, we're going to have a great whether I win or not, you know. And I was kind of saying to my mom, I was like, this is weird because if if I was going to the IFTAs, it wouldn't be like this. I'd just be going to the IFTAs and use it just watch it on the telly or something. Sure. And we wouldn't have all been together in that moment. So there was a strange like 
I don't know. I suppose it was just a lovely moment because all of the awards, all of the press, all of the stuff since the two uh, premieres last year has all been remote and on uh, Zoom calls and things like this. So now I was like, whoa, I just got to be with all the people that I love the most mm. and celebrate that I actually made this film, you know, yeah. and that was that was incredible that moment. I mean, it was one of those moments where, you know, like when 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 the when the laptop was closed after speaking to lovely lovely Guanya, it was like as if Ireland won the World Cup, <laughs> and I was jumping at cloud surf. Like it was literally like my body didn't know what to do. I just like I literally screamed for a good five minutes. All jumped and screamed, and my sister Sonia was like. If I feel like this, what does it feel like to be you? You know, <laughs> like I don't know. So it's kind of been mad to have such a muted time for a year and this kind of very okay. This is the way it's going, and trying to accept it and all that kind of thing, and having that roller coaster of one minute being angry at the pandemic and next minute realizing you're crazy because you can't be angry at it mm. in a, you know a weird bubble disease. But, you know, to get to get to that point was just a lovely thing. It was also just a chance to start to say thanks to loads of people, yeah. like in a real just like sit, like, you know, that thing of like when you're a kid and if you're in the entertainment industry, you watch the Oscars or you watch the IFTAs or you watch people giving these speeches. I think a bit of you would always dream of that moment. And I think sometimes we dream of it because it's not just because of the glory of winning. It's because you get to do that little thank you speech. Yeah. And it's like really nice to be able to in a public you. setting, in a public setting. And that's that's the thing when we, you're a grateful person and you say thank you at the end of every working day. And it's just not the same as getting to do it. Shout outs, like shout outs mean a lot. Yeah. Really, yeah. It's it's, so it's kind of mad. It was, great. it was a mad experience to come to that point. But now I'm really like, oh, am I ready for the film to be released? And mm. um, yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. Now. So S September 10th is the date of the Irish and UK theatrical release of Herself. And this, you know, like I talk about comedy an awful lot to people. They ask me all the time about when gigs are going to come back. And, you know, I see the Instagram posts of different comedy clubs and how the basis of comedy is relaxation and freedom to laugh. An involuntary response, unlike any other, that only takes place when you feel completely at home. The cinema experience is is different because it can be it can be enjoyed if the cinema is prepared properly and i've been to the cinema in a socially distanced setting for different premieres one particular in leicester square that i've talked about you must be hopeful that this strange setting in which cinemas will be occupied may even help the enjoyment of herself would you agree with that yeah, like I think people want to feel relaxed going out now and not like I know we're all getting vaccinated or most of us are and all of that kind of thing. But I think I understand the thing of just having to keep the social distance. I think it's more important to think of it as like I really want some sort of communal experience and I want to have the experience of being in a cinema where you're surrounded by the sound and the vision and just immersed in the story mm. and, and the characters. And it's like, it is nice to have a bit of cushioning going into that, especially if you're a person who's vulnerable or indeed that you just like are genuinely a bit wary of getting this or you had it at one point last year, you really don't want to get it again and you don't know if it can happen or not. You know, it just, just kind of breathes away all that stuff. And I think that really helps people, yeah, just get out again and get into the community. I'd, I'd say there's a varying degree of people's ability to go out directly into pubs and yeah. restaurants and cinemas right now. So I think anything that we can do to cushion it is, is the, good. And the other thing is, uh, Claire, I felt like when I went back into a cinema for the first time in over a year, that movie stayed with me. <laughs> it really stayed <laughs> with me. I don't even want to bring it up in reference to your own movie because it was such a different kind of experience. But Mikey was with me. But I do think it was that thing of going out for a meal for the first time after all of this. I, I remember what that meal was and I can remember 
it was nearly emotional. <laughs> and, uh, you're going to be that movie for so many people. That's important to say that when we're talking about this now, we are kind of appealing to people who are going, oh, Jesus, no, I wouldn't go to a cinema yet. September 10th, I'm urging people to make herself the movie that you return to the cinema to see. Is it hard, given that the original release date was the 16th of October, to still be pitching this movie, to still be selling it, when, as we discussed in the first time we spoke, it really is a long time ago that the first draft of the script was made. <laughs> yeah, in some ways it's like, is this weird? Does it have any relevance? And then in other ways, I don't know, the director, Villada, really has been amazing and helped us see it in a different perspective because she was like, this is literally about community and, and how good of a neighbour are you? Mm. And do you really know what's going on there in your neighbor's house? And I don't know, I think something about the COVID time and, and, and the lockdowns and the amount of numbers going up and domestic violence and people ringing helplines really heightened awareness around these things. So I actually think this film could be a great thing to remind us of the importance of each other to each other and that sense of community. And, but also to remind us that we have some inner strength and a capability to push through and uh, transform ourselves. Because I think, yes, Sandra in the film, in the course of the film herself, she gets help from a, a community of people, but she doesn't get that help until she starts the ball rolling herself. Mm. Like she decides to change her life. She decides to instigate something herself. And she doesn't get a yes straight away from some people. She kind of has to knock on a door twice for Conlet's character to come into play because she needs his expertise just to, to legally um, qualify that everything's okay, etc. And it's like, I don't know, I think there's something in that. There's something in the courage to ask for help, but then there's also the courage, or sorry, the honour in being asked to help someone. So the things I learned along the way of making yourself interesting because they're actually things about how when we're having tough moments that it's like it's actually a big courageous step sometimes to go and <laughs> look to somebody who might mm -hmm. know something more than you thing that you're dealing with and just ask for help but that also that person kind of might really like being asked because they they can actually functional and help somebody and it's not just an ego trip it's like they feel useful and then there's more meaning to both people involved in the interaction because then they have a I don't know if they only have 10 minutes together or a few hours or days or weeks in this thing that they're trying to sort out those few hours literally life is more meaningful just for a bit you know and I know it sounds weird it sounds a bit out there yeah Tina yeah. I don't think it sounds out there at all because Tina brought this up the other day to me that People don't really understand that doing kind things is actually good for your head. <laughs> that you you get an awful lot from doing them. And that's always what people say. That like you're you know, you you benefit more nearly from the other from the the doing of the good deed. Then you benefit equally in in some ways. But it is an appeal to the better part of someone. And it's that uh, extending of the olive branch to say, look, I, I, I know this is a big ask and I trust that you might be the person. As you say, there is a compliment within that. But I've found that as things have become fractured since we last spoke, as we've kind of l lost touch with whether we have things in common with each other because opinion has been so divided on this massive elephant in the room, that there must be a sense, as Philida said, that it's nearly a better time to release this. Has that discussion been had? And I guess, I mean, has there been any sort of sense that the people that you've spoken to who are behind promotion of this movie are rubbing their hands together going this this is our moment actually this this right here is our moment rather than the 16th of October last year 
Yeah, I, I, I actually do think there's a lot behind it this time round. And it's a kind of that thing of when, like, you get knocked down and you get back up again stronger. It is that kind of thing of like, right, this is it now. And we're fully accepting of the um, the limits on numbers in the cinemas in Ireland. There is not as many limits in English cinemas. However, English cinemas are being very cautious and just actually still doing a bit of restrictive stuff, which I think is quite nice, like mm. they're not just like going all out and just squishing loads of people together, which I think is a good idea. But I love that there's this sort of really positive feeling for the film. And also, like, I suppose the film is all, like as much as it is about this community thing come back together this is a film also about like determination and grit and there's a lot of kind of thriller aspects mm-hmm. to it and there's like music and like things about a person experiencing PTSD but then healing from it like it's got a lot going on in it and I think there's a lot about um, ourselves as families and children and parents and there's a lot of things going on in this film the, the old the young the the all the different factions of people in society and systems. Like there's a lot of things going on in it. And I know because I bloody wrote the thing and it took a long time. <laughs> and it's a sort of this weird, like little storm of loads of things about ourselves, right? And then there's obviously there's this one human at the centre of it that's actualizing herself. Mm. And I think like at this time when we're all like going out into the world again and there's something in it all at the minute that's like, I think we want to do things a bit differently now. And there's a, there's a feeling in the atmosphere. Well, I feel this, that like everybody's like, you know, I, I don't know about you, but like going to the restaurant, going to the cinema, going to the shops, whatever you're doing now in the last couple of months, I, I feel like everyone's not doing it as much as they did before. And we're not running around like headless chickens. Definitely. And we're not having as much FOMO. And we're sort of like wondering, like, what do we really want from our society and our systems. How do we really want to value people in workplaces and homes and hospitals? What is that we really want? And look, it's not like we'd all, you know, build a new world in a day. But in terms of like symbolism in this film, there is, I used to have two post-its over either side of my storyboards on the wall. It was old world, new world. That's what it used to be. Cassandra was going from an old world and trying to build a new one. And I find that so fascinating now, thinking back on it, because I feel this feeling like we're all, like the whole world sort of paused there for a minute. And there's a feeling of like, can we do this different? Yeah. Or, do you think we can? What, what was you, I doing? <laughs> That's certainly the feeling yeah. I get. Yeah, and there's a lot of reflecting and going, yeah, what was I doing there actually? I didn't need to do that or I didn't need to pay my put my energies that way, I could probably put them that way, Mm. you know? Yeah, and I know as someone who tried to, who had a piece of content that they told me couldn't come out at a certain time and eventually, to use your own words, I said, sure, look at your fuck it. It has to go out (laughs) at some point. And I made a decision to go a direction with it where I just had to jump. You must have come under pressure, Claire, to just jump and just be like, look, put it out everywhere, make it available for sale on uh, the Apple store. What made you hold back other than obviously the the contractual stuff? There there must have been a part of you that was like, no, no, we'll bide our time. We need this in cinemas. I think actually it was always me that was knowing the winter was going to be a bit of a strange one and I was always like is this not going to be in 2021 now like I kept asking that question of the big meetings that we were all having and actually I think because to be honest Jared, the answer is more like it's kind of more business like it's literally the, the distribution is divided between Amazon in America and then Cornerstone and Element for all of the mm. all of the other basically including Ireland and England and to be honest it ended up becoming almost like a country by country, what the country wanted. So in each place, and it was so strange because you kind of, I had this strange experience where one of my best friends who lives in New Zealand was like, hey, what are all family watching my film <laughs> a couple of months ago? <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and then I was on doing like press interviews with Japan, the Japanese press, and 
oh my God, the questions were amazing. And they really looked at this film in a certain way from their point of view, which was fantastic. And and the same with this morning, you know, I was talking to a festival in Luxembourg. So there's been this weird thing of like, it's trickled out in, in various countries. But I think for me, it's like, I'm just glad that I am now here in Ireland and able to go to England for at least these releases here. Because this is where it really matters to me. This is where the story came from. Yeah. You know, from home. And I think I'm just like, I never had a say really, but I was the one that was always like, I mean, I'm not sure the winter is going to be great. <laughs> just in COVID, I've been cold and wet. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, the, during all like of that, that, you also get this um, huge honour, which is Variety's top 10 screenwriters to watch in 2020. And, you know, I can remember the day that I saw that and just being so feckin' happy and just over the moon in the same way as I wondered, oh, what must this feel like for you if I'm this happy? <laughs> How did you find out, first of all? And what did it feel like? I'd imagine that was a bit more stressful than I'm imagining. Well, it was like, it was all around the same time. So we got named as like, one of the top 10 films of 2020 and it was like above Nomadland you're talking like really high up on the list like number four or something wow and um, in Variety and then I got named a screenwriter to watch and basically it all happened just over a phone call with my agents I thought we were having a meeting about some things that were coming up and they told me and I I, I just kind of like didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was on my own you know in a I don't know where was I was probably just in my room or something and then I rang my parents immediately my mother just she was so funny because she just like jumped around but also was like crying and laughing at the same time and she kept going I don't know how much I don't know how much more I can take from my daughter I don't know how much I can it's brilliant it's all brilliant <laughs> I think she was just like completely overwhelmed by the moment you know um, because like Sundance was just just too much for her like Sundance and Dublin I mean they they nearly just they completely nearly lost it so it was lovely it was such a great moment and I think got I think Variety just really got behind the film they really saw it for what it was and they they were I think the journalist was he was just incredible uh, and he was there in Sundance and he was just like this is like I think he really wanted the film to do very well in the awards over there but because you know obviously we were just online and not really star studded in that kind of headliner way we kind of uh yeah we fell out of the running but it was so lovely to get that love and support and kind of response yeah. you know it was like talk about i mean yeah it's a bit of validation but it was just lovely to for people to understand the film and really appreciate it for what it is but i am a bit like yourself and blind boy in that way that i'm like as much as you take your good reviews you have to take the bad you know, so I'm always like, have your moment and then just remember to get up in the morning and just still do a bit of writing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little taste of my catch up with Claire Dunn. Uh, if you want to hear the full conversation as well as our previous chat at the time of the release of herself or the first attempt to release herself, come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. Uh, we're going to give you a little little taste of that chat now so that you have an idea of what's waiting over there. But it's, there's a full hour, 90 minutes more chat with Claire Dunn about her journey, her life, this movie, the content of it and what it means to her. I think it's one of my favourite interviews that I've ever done in the series. So I want to say a quick thank you to the person who brought it about and that is Amy Walsh at Element Pictures. Amy uh, has worked with us here at Irishman Abroad a lot in the past few years to bring us such brilliant episodes as Paul Meskell and Ed Guiney, to name just two. Mo Dunford, Sarah Green, there's two more. Amy's been an unbelievable Trojan worker for them and for us she's just been such a pleasure to work with. She's heading out for herself. She'll be heading away uh, very soon and we wish her the very best of luck. So now here comes a little taste of that other episode that I recorded with Claire Dunn for you to enjoy 
come on over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad to hear the rest of it and of course the entire archive of Irishman Abroad episodes it's only a fiver a month couple of clicks no obligation check out anytime you like but you will see your life improve immediately Done. It is brilliant to have you on Irishman Abroad. And as I said to you before this, it is hard to know where to begin. The movie herself is such a triumph in and of itself. And to me, it's an instant classic. But the thing that moved me, aside from the movie itself, is this story behind it that it's an idea. It's an idea that took hold of you while you may be at your lowest ebb in New York to the point where this idea forces you to change your flights, come back home and get to work on it. Does that idea, did that drive you forward? Did that idea still remain today even? Or does it feel like it's a long way away given that, you know, Sharon Horgan element, Sundance, all of this stuff happens in between? I think in some ways it's far away <laughs> during the journey it felt far away but I think now more than ever because it's now being like brought to audiences I actually remember that moment uh, nearly every day because I actually know that moment was a sort of BCAD moment for me in my life mm. and that once I made that choice everything was different and I mean, you know, when you really make a choice to change things, you can feel it. <laughs> it's mm. like, you know, you're not lying to anyone because you're not lying to yourself. You know, you can say you're going to change things or say you're going to do certain things. But that felt a, like a real change because I, I did change flights and I I came back to Ireland and changed my lifestyle so that I could put us like get time to research and uh yeah, I guess train myself up and become a writer <laughs> because I wasn't really one uh, at that moment. And so, yeah, it does come back to me. Let me ask you this then, Claire, because I'm sure everyone knows that feeling that you had of a powerful notion hitting mm-hmm. you, uh, something original or game changing. And the struggle then is to not doubt it, to remember and keep going back to that fire that it put in your belly. You had tests during this. There Mm. were times where it felt like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to take something in between. It's a lot. I'm saying it's a long road from 2014 being Mm -hmm. in New York, auditioning for things you weren't really that into working Mm -hmm. in the bar. It's a long road from here to there. It was a long road, I think. I think there were moments actually earlier in the journey that, that just came to mind when you asked me about that, which was there was a weird thing where the idea felt bigger than me. Mm-hmm. So it was taking me. Not only was it intriguing me, but it was like there was this weird faith behind it that was something I'd never felt before. And that sounds a bit out there, but apparently, so I read a book about creativity at one point called Big Magic and it was the writer of Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, I know. I've like, read it. It's an amazing um, book. Fab. And and when she just talked about how ideas are actually not yours, you just pay attention to them. Mm. They um, come from and you somewhere kind else. Of mind them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That actually sort of helped me because my biggest pet hate in all my career has always been, well, I was actually even suspicious of acting from the get go. I, 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 I had a fear of getting too like egotistical or like a bit into it in the wrong way or that I'd been around people that were a bit like that early on that made me always go no I always want to make sure it's about the work and not me like keep it outside of myself in a healthy way because there's an element of then you're dedicating yourself to something you're Mm -hmm. devoting yourself to something and that energy feels better than I need this to make me a star you know (laughs) that that energy is not going to get you It'll only get you so far because the minute something slips up, you're like, oh, my God, I'm a mess. And you identify Mm. with it as you. Whereas if you are looking at it as something that's outside of yourself, that you devote yourself to, that you're just tending it like a plant, you know, like watering it and feeding it. And even when you don't know what to do with it, you're like, well, at least I'm putting it in the window. You know, it's Mm. it's like a dedication and maybe a bit of a 
not a discipline, but that it's something that you tend to every day. And because I was doing that anyway, even when I had a very experienced old, like, kind of teacher or somebody that I'd worked with and at some point, he kind of went, there was this cup of coffee moment I had with somebody where they literally went, well, you're never going to get this made. I mean, no one's going to believe that story. Wow. <laughs> and just kind of completely, or just went, you're just going to have to go to a different country to do this or like set it somewhere else because you're not going to get it done in Ireland. And I went home. I was actually... What did you say in response to that, first of all? I'm really interested in those moments. I've had them so many times along the way. And loads of people have. What do you you say back? Like, how do you eject yourself from that conversation? I, I sort of, I found myself, I think, leaning back a bit in the chair and just sort of gone, okay... Okay, and I was letting him have his rant about how a mess it is. It's a mess here and you won't get it done. And I sort of was like, okay, this is quite scary, but I was kind of leaning back physically. I don't remember what I said. I just remember going, okay, well, I'll have a think. And I went home and I was shaking, like, on the inside. I got in the door and I went upstairs and I lay on my bed. And I think I sobbed and cried for like a good half an hour. And I mean, like, like the way you do when it's it's horrific, like mm. somebody's died. And I was just like, why did I go see this guy? Like, you know, and then I went downstairs and this was a time I'm a typical millennial that had to live at home for a couple of months when I first returned from London. It was at some point in the journey, I think in 2015 or 26. No, it would have been 2015 when uh, I had a little stab at home. So my mom was downstairs and um, she's like, do you want a cup of tea? And I was like, she's like, what's wrong with you? Like, I was in this looking, you know. And I just remember my mom flitting about the kitchen and making tea and she just kept going, well, I don't know. I just think you're after talking to the wrong person because like, what do they know about? Like, it's just an idea at the moment. And and she was just doing her mom thing where she kind of like is, I suppose just babbling a bit but actually it was all so helpful because mm-hmm. she was sort of reminding me of like just the little girl in me that is also just the girl who was once in school not knowing what she wanted to do but she just loved st- telling stories and making people laugh like she was reminding me that like it's not actually about what somebody else is saying to you about that thing really and I felt hugely comforted and I was a bit bruised and I kind of like let it go for a few days. And then I think I just woke up one morning and realized that every morning I woke up, I would still just think about this story that I wanted to tell first thing every day. It was just possessing me. And I thought, well, it's still there. It's still there. Mm. And it's still really interesting to me. So I think I just have to trust that. And what is that your, was it really. What does your mom do? Like, What's her story? Well, she used to work when, when she first had me. She had me quite young. She actually just raised us for a while and then she went back into some education while we were kids where she did a lot of community work and helped out in a place called Base up in Whitechurch. I grew up on a council estate in my youngest of years and then we moved on to somewhere just down the road. But um, that's kind of what she did. And she's also worked in just like retail, just in clothes <laughs> shops in <Yeah>. Duns. <laughs> yeah. But uh, she's um, really, she's, the best mother in the world is what she is. Um, she has six daughters, so it's, it's what, been what, something. <laughs> when, when I read that, I just thought to myself, what, what is that like? like uh, I, I, yeah, wealth of female energy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the character, like the lead character in herself has to be partially your mother. Am I right? Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry, I did forget that. My mother is also a cleaner and so is Sandra. Well, she doesn't clean anymore. She actually finally gave up last year, but she was uh, a cleaner for years, like just doing mixers in people's houses and then also cleaning a school. And um, I would the odd time go cleaning with my mom years ago, like just the odd time, just give her a hand. And then when I was doing preparing for the role of Sandra, I went to work with her as well for a few days. But what I always observed about my mom and my sister who used to clean as well, there's a magical thing about cleaners, I think, 
because they come into your house and yes, they clean everything physically, but there is something about their energy coming into your home and they do this wonderful thing of cleaning your house, but it's all, but it kind of cleans out any sort of just the built up crap over yeah, the last the bad juju. even the bad juju. And I just think also there's some then older people in, in, in the community or people that are a little bit more afraid of the world and not out and about so much that the cleaner coming to them is actually a bit of an event for the week. And sometimes cleaners are going and they're having a scone and a cup of tea with that person as well mm. as their job. And that becomes part of it's that part of person's it. universe. And a friendship can develop or anything can happen. And it just, it just, it really fascinated me always when my mom used to come in and go, oh God, I was in your mom's house and, you know, the daughter has terrible depression. And so I was trying to just, you know, give her a bit of encouragement and like, and she'd come mm. in and I would be going, wow, mom, like, I mean, she wasn't like, my mom would always try and just like go in and out and do her job. But I suppose in the moment of certain things came to her, she would always try and, be nice or be encouraging or be positive or suggest like, oh, I was thinking I might just pick up a couple of plants for you and little and you could put them on the window there. Would they be nice, Mary, or whatever? She just always did these lovely things. And I just thought, yeah, cleaners have something extra going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And, so, and yeah, that was important to the story, obviously. Of, of course, it's crucial to the story. And yeah. kind of the... The reason why I I ask about your mother is because like there's this character so fully formed and actualized. And in fact, the whole idea of the movie that we mentioned at the start is mm. so actualized that I guess that that must become the journey of of writing it is actually the idea that starts in New York. You suddenly over the course of that journey of writing it. Mm. Und- come to understand why the idea took hold of you. And I'd imagine that a big part of that must have been realizing that this isn't a movie about somebody self building a house in a really awful personal situation. This is a story and a question of who we are and what mm. we, who we see ourselves as in relation to this problem of housing. Am I wrong on that? You are so not wrong. It was actually, that became a bit of a banner for me, you know, when you're storyboarding and you have to put things on the wall to keep you going or things to remind you what it's really about. And I kept saying to myself, this is actually the story of who we really are as Irish people. And also then just as humans, because I didn't want it to obviously just feel like a nationalistic thing and only an Irish thing. Mm. But at first on my journey, it really was very about our identity and our our working with the land and who we are as a community. Because once I discovered what the word metal means, which is like a kind of community that gathers around and helps each other. I didn't like I read this book called Rural. So the architect who designed our house and the first person I looked up was Dominic Stevens, this lovely architect who designed a house for 25,000 euro, a good, God, it must be 10 years ago now. Same guy that's in the actual film. The same guy, well, he's, that's not actually, that's an actor playing him. uh, Okay, sorry. Kind of looks like him, but (laughs) um, no, 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 Dominic wouldn't be in it. But he let the real star be in it, which is his house design. But I read his book called Rural which was absolutely fascinating because it made you realize that once we were colonized, we obviously were run by someone else. And our natural way of being before we were colonized and the land was taken over and divided with the, you know, what is it? The lords and the mm-hmm. and the tenants and the, there was a lot of the fiefs and I don't know, there was all that kind of stuff. Basically, um, sorry, I say it like I didn't do the research, but I have a short term memory span. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, it was that we naturally as a society before even Catholicism as well, we just integrated and had a healthy interdependence. And when a new fa- when a new couple, say, came together or a husband and wife were married and they had their firstborn, the village came together and would like 
build a house for that those people starting their lives like everybody came together give to ensure that the next new fa- yeah, yeah give them a cow and a few chickens and all that kind of thing and that was just natural that was just the way it was then obviously we were colonized and different things happened and then one by the time it got to so obviously our language was stripped of lots of things were taken away from our identity as a nation and then we reclaimed our independence you know along comes Eamon de Valera and all the lads but by the time we were trying to then set up our own country and government, they basically just used a kind of American model. So they did a whole thing where they had that very capitalist thing of the whole aim is to keep people thinking that something else outside of them makes them happy. Mm. And therefore, they're always chasing the, you know, the thing on the end of a string. So it's, it's this way of thinking uh, the pursuit of happiness and all that kind of thing, but in a sort of, when you look behind these things in the economical sense, it's a little bit like, oh, but that could be done a little bit easier going or with a healthier sense of equality. And so I realized in my journey that like, like obviously during it, we hit the centenary of 2016. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, we're actually only really considered a bit of a grown-up country now because apparently it takes a country to be like a hundred years independent to really begin to find its own Mm, actual voice and so we're actually quite a young country in terms of what we've been through and had to like start again in the early 20th century so and if you really went from the actual dates of when we had a government it would probably be more like 1921 right or 22 but um they always say kind of 1916 so I found that I found it interesting that there was maybe a loss on on a mass consciousness level a a forgetting of who we really are and so in the back of my heart or my mind as I wrote this was remember who we really are that's what this is actually about it's remembering who we really are and what we what what's innate in us and I and along the journey I it was meeting other people who work on the front line with all of these kind of things like self-building and domestic violence, that I I was struck by how, oh, like actually, even amongst this madness and the courts and tough stuff that people go through, is human kindness is actually the true innate nature that we have. It's not what you are constantly maybe told it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's certainly... Yeah, and certainly at the moment, Mm. there is a thing of the moment here, Claire. I'm sure you are aware of that. There's a moment. We're in a moment and we're in a moment as people where it feels like if somebody disagrees with you, they're ready to kill you and that there isn't uh, an innate empathy to a lot of people. We can really other people at the moment in terms of the divides, whether it's Democrat, Republican, mask wearing, not mask wearing. I want to send my kids back to school. You don't because you think it's too much of a risk. Everything is so mm. polarized at the moment that what you're talking about here in this kindness, this innate mm. kindness that you know, you have to hope and I've always tried to hope is the default setting rather than this savage man comes up time and time again throughout the piece and each time it's so subtly done and it's so deftly handled that at no point does it veer into oh and then somebody does a nice thing how hard was it to capture those moments and to rewrite things in such a way that the expression of kindness from others isn't fairy godmother stuff and is more that's exactly how that would happen in Ireland well to start that answer I actually have to think of Ian who played Gary so the character that that commits violence on Sandra in many ways mentally emotionally and physically the main thing you have to remember is that good old phrase hurt people hurt people Mm. and I think what was always important to me writing this story was that we show the ambiguity and the different the things that can happen within a relationship where somebody loses who they really are and becomes this, I suppose, kind of baddie or monster. 
but there's always a thorn in the monster's ankle. Like they're not a monster for no reason. So I will say that at first. And so then going from that, I realized, I wonder, can I include the moments of kindness? Not that I made up, but that I observed when I was on certain research trips. Right. So I know it seems mad to say that, but basically this whole film is based on fact. It is a fiction based on hugely researched fact. And not only that, but there were moments where I was sitting in waiting rooms for 20 minutes in, you know, the, the courts, uh, sorry, the place in Temple Bar, the um, Dolphin's, uh, Dolphin House, where people are going in to get barring orders and there's all sorts going on. And I, I witnessed firsthand every time um, moments of connection and kindness between people that you wouldn't expect and huge drama as well. And like the whole time I was on the journey, it was like I had this weird like voice in me going, include that, include that. Because we always tend in the in the film world or, you know, creating dramas for TV that you only kind of show the ultra dramatic moments. But I found those observations along the way so important and I would note them down in my diary along the way or just note them in things that I want to include. So actually... The difficult part was then just tonally getting that right then in mm. the uh, in the in the film and just making it not like it was so funny in edits or in drafts. I would always just be the one going, yeah, but don't make that too Disney. That was always my <laughs> my uh, my little calling card, and Philida's head would be wrecked with me. I'd be like, "No, that's kind," of, but you can't go further than that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of what I'm at. that's kind of what I'm referring to. It's like. It, it, that's all over this. Your thing, if if that yeah. was your voice in that edit, yeah. then congratulations again, because <laughs> at no point does this become Disney. And Good. I guess the piece that I'd really love to talk to you before we get to the half halfway point in our conversation mm -hmm. is the opening of this. I, I mean, the you must have absolutely been obsessed with that first 10 pages to get it to where it is and what it was and what it is now on the big screen. That opening 10 pages or those first moments grab you by the throat as a as a viewer. You're in. There's no way back. Am I right in saying that that was an obsession? And where did that come from? The first 10 pages is always the obsession. <laughs> For loads of us, I think it eventually came came about by realizing we have to get a lot in actually at the start because you you didn't want to get too stuck in her past life or anything. Mm. So the trick was to sort of show. Well, essentially, like basically, it came to a point where. I was saying to Philida, I was like, I know it sounds mad, but I originally it was the dancing scene. So it used to be just them dancing in the kitchen. Sorry for the viewers or listeners <laughs> who haven't seen the film yet, but essentially there's just a couple of scenes in the opening with her kids and she's just dancing in the kitchen. And then there's obviously, you see a violent intercutting of what then happens when her partner comes home. But it was always that, like from early drafts I always wanted to show how she had this universe with her children on her own that was so precious and great fun and that it would be just decimated in seconds but I wanted to show initially always her in that world with her children because her children are her driving force mm. and her children are also helping her so then the, and I also just to be honest, didn't I've, I just wanted to veer away from the whole victimhood of these women, the, the battered woman in inverted commas, you know. Mm -hmm. I just really wanted to stay away from that. I wanted to show that this woman is a hero for staying, not just a hero for leaving. And she's living on this war front in the home and that she's doing her best and she's a really good mother. But not only that, these kids are smart 
and she's trying to do something different here by having one of them involved with her as a, a helper to get out. And we wanted it to have a sort of thrilling aspect, an exciting aspect. Because at first, of course, you just think, woman builds a house, makes loads of new friends, not that exciting. You know what I mean? <laughs> so what we're trying to show is like, there is no refuge. There was no refuge. So she builds her own. And we wanted to get that feeling across and the feeling that these women that have been through all of this, they essentially have PTSD. And we want to kind of insinuate why without showing you everything. So it, it's violent in its edit and the sound is quite effective. But if you look at it closely, we're not actually showing absolutely everything. If you compare it to what me and Ian actually filmed that day, mm. we're showing very little. So, wow, Claire, it's, it's unreal. And uh, like I, I will say this to the, the listeners to make a point of getting this to your local cinema, wherever you are in the world, you need to you know, kind of demand that this is an essential thing that needs to be seen because there is so much of it, like I say, without it being messagey, that mm-hmm. is absolutely compulsory viewing. And what I guess only now that I, the more I thought about it and the more I prepared for this, the more I saw your ability to weave your own history into it without it being your story, of course. But that opening scene about uh, the birthmark on your eye and how that's handled is only after reading you know, the various different times in your life that you were told that this is the reason that things aren't going to happen for you. The birthmark on your eye. Can you talk to us a little bit about exactly how this pattern of roadblocks and ceilings and walls really is the story of Claire Dunn, the actress and now writer all along the way? Uh, Look, I mean, in the wider perspective of things, I think you're given roadblocks for a reason. It's because there is a bigger story for your life and you have to sort of accept them and, and ask them. I, I I heard this great phrase once, which was look behind the statue. So the, the thing is in front of you. You're like, why are you here? <laughs> you know, why is that in front of me? And uh, you have to look behind it and ask what it's trying, trying for. It wants you to see something else. So there you have it. There's two segments of my catch up with Claire Dunn and the original episode with her when they first took this movie to the public I would love you to come on over and hear the rest of it each week we release three episodes of Irishman Abroad there's the running podcast with Sonia Sullivan on a Tuesday the Irishman in America with Marion McKeown every Friday where we cover what's happening over there and of course the Scandals series which is Marion's brainchild which is just a phenomenal look at some of the most unbelievable scandals in the history of America. We couple that with the news from over there and things are really going to get interesting as the midterm elections approach. You don't want to miss that. The full episodes, all exclusive access to the archive and loads, loads more. A better life for you and your family awaits you. Come to patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad and sign up today.